0: morning, everyone. Again, would you stand with me as we go to the text this morning? We're going to be in Proverbs 24, 11 through 12 this morning. And we'll begin with that Hebrew prayer shema that we do. Um, it's a way of affirming God's lordship over our lives before we go to the text. It's a way of saying, God, before we hear from you, we just want to, again, proclaim that you are in control, you are, uh, are everything, and, and we want to hear from you this morning. So say it after me. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone, alone. love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Amen. 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 These are the very words of God, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. Very short this morning, but that's what Proverbs is about. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not replay everyone according to what he has done? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I have this friend, and I like him a lot, He's not a Christian, but he's a really nice guy. He lives in our neighborhood. And I want to tell you two stories about my friend. The first one happened about a month ago. Uh, We were sitting uh, in their backyard. It was a lovely Wednesday night. This month has been wonderful for weather, by the way. It's been absolutely amazing. So thank you. So we were sitting in the back about a month ago, just enjoying the beautiful weather uh, in their backyard. Uh, and we were talking about all sorts of stuff until uh, the topic of the funeral came up. You see, my friend just lost his grandfather, a uh, very uh, old man, lived a wonderful life, nothing tragic uh, that we would define as tragic, but uh, just, just his time. And I, I thought that it would be nice if I went to support him, uh, to go to the funeral and support him there. Now, it was a very Catholic funeral. And uh, I've grown up in the church my whole life, and I had no idea what to do, right? Like, I don't know if you, I, I, some of you, that, that was your background, so you kinda knew the, the dance and the rhythm of it, but I did not. So I didn't know when to stand and when to sit and when to kneel and when to go, Amen. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do the thing. I, I, I now feel, um, uh, you know, if you're here this morning and this is kind of a, a whole new thing to you, this church thing, uh, I resonate. I, I, I hope that you feel comfortable here because I, I had no idea well, what to do. And so as we were sitting around and we were laughing about that, Um, And and just, uh, you know, like, clearly they didn't know what to do either. So we got to kind of laugh about, you know, not knowing how to do the whole thing. But I did notice one thing about the service. And one is that all the grandkids got up and read scripture except for my friend. And when it was time to do communion, it was sort of one of these communions in the Catholic Church where anyone, you know, they just kind of invited anyone up. They didn't check your, your badge at the door. You could just come on up. But I noticed everyone took communion except for my friend and his family and so we began talking about he admitted he said uh you you might have noticed that i wasn't i wasn't there i didn't uh i didn't read scripture i didn't really participate in that and i said yeah yeah i mean i I noticed and he said i just i just didn't feel comfortable with the whole thing and as we began talking a little bit more about it uh, he said that with everything happening in the catholic church right now with the, the seemingly utter lack of value and protection for people. All the news clippings and things I hear on the news, I just couldn't support a community, an organization, an institution like that. I just couldn't support something like that. And we talked a while about this, and what I realized as I walked away from the conversation is that he hadn't seen any type of wisdom with regard to this. He didn't see any type of wisdom when it came to the value of life. In fact, what he saw was the opposite. He saw an anti-wisdom in a lot of ways. And that's not to paint, a, that is to paint a broad brush. We don't know every situation, everything, but as he was, as, as it was being portrayed to him through the news, through newspaper clippings, what he was seeing and what, what he was uh, realizing, or at least what he was perceiving from what he was being told, was not a wisdom when it comes to the value of life. It actually was an anti-wisdom. And in fact, if that is what it looks like, I don't blame him for wanting nothing to do with it. So the question for us is, well, what does wisdom regarding the value of life actually look like? If, If we were to do it in a way that my friend could look at that and say, ah, that's actually something I could get behind. That's actually something I could be on board with. What type of wisdom would that look like? Now, we're in a series in the book of Proverbs, which is what it's all about. It's this book about wisdom or, or, or building wisdom, having, uh, living a life that's wise. And in this book, the word wise or the word wisdom is used 109 times. But the thing is, is that this one word that we use in English, there's actually several words in Hebrew used in the book and translated the same way, but are used to emphasize different elements of wisdom. Let me give you an example. Sort of the the, the first one, the primary root word of wisdom, the one that we generally get the word from is is a word uh, that just means that. It's sort of that general kind of, uh, just throw it all kind of word. It means wisdom. It's very general in nature. And the trick with this is that it's very abstract and ethereal. It's really hard to kind of nail down a definition of it. It's fluid. It's hard to figure out. What is wisdom? I I, I don't know. It's uh, being wise. It's Just sort of that general word that we use for someone that's wise. It's sort of like a word we use like hot dogs. We know what it is when we see it. But we don't really know what it is, right? It's kind of like, uh, I'm not exactly sure. But I know what it is when I see it. I just can't define it very well. Now, the thing is, is that this word that's, again, very abstract, very ethereal, is only used 12 out of the 109 times in Proverbs. It's just a word that's used every once in a while to just talk about the overall sense of wisdom that one can have, the the most of the time, the majority of the time, a different variation of the word is used to emphasize the idea of wisdom personified. Wisdom personified. This is more of the concrete expression of wisdom. It's tangible. I can see it. I can get my my head around it. So it can be translated as wisdom, but it also can be translated as skill. Let me show you an example. In, in Exodus 35, Israel is building a tent for God. But because God is God, he's not going to live in a dump. He's got very specific tastes that he wants what he's going to, what he's willing to live in. And so Moses calls those who have the skills to pay the bills. He calls the people with specific uh, skill sets that can do the job. And so in Exodus 35, 35, it says this, God has filled them with skill. And this is the word that's used for wisdom. It's the same word in Proverbs. Most of the time when they talk about wisdom is this same word in Exodus for skilled. And so like God has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers and designers and embroiderers in blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen and weavers. All of them skilled, there's that word, and skilled workers. So it's funny. So you can use this word in Hebrew in, in Proverbs, the majority of the time when they're talking about wisdom. You can actually use that word and actually it means skilled to someone who's skilled. And so if you want to put it that way, it's almost as if a definition of wisdom is those who are skilled at life. How many of you feel skilled at life, right? We got anyone that's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm doing it well. If not, then wisdom is for you. And the book of Proverbs is for you. It's not just knowing about something. This type of wisdom is being able to put it... In to practice. So if you've got your fill-in this morning, here's your first fill-in. Proverbs is all about personifying wisdom. Proverbs is all about personifying wisdom, giving it flesh and blood so we can see what it looks like. And this is where, why we can, we can call it like a skill, something that you can actually see. When you embroider something, when you engrave something, you see the finished product. And so Proverbs is this collection of little sayings that help people see wisdom in real life, in tangible, concrete, wrap-your-head-around-it kind of ways. It's about personifying wisdom. Now, Pastor Milo mentioned last week that one of the creative ways Proverbs does this, there's actually several ways Proverbs kind of, in a poetic sort of way, shows us that this wisdom is all about the concrete idea About being able to see it And so they personify it In different creative ways One of the ways they do it Is through a woman They actually call wisdom a woman And give, uh, give wisdom uh, A female characteristics And ways that we can do that Like in Proverbs 4, 6 and 8 and 9 It says this Do not forsake wisdom And she will protect you Love her And she will watch over you Cherish her And she will exalt you, embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. And so all of a sudden, uh, this idea, this concept of of wisdom isn't just an abstract idea, but it actually is concrete in someone. It gives a personification of what wisdom could be. And so we see that in this person. Proverbs actually does this in another way. Just a few chapters later in Proverbs 8, uh, they actually uh, uh, call wisdom and sort of show wisdom as someone who is co laboring with God through creation. That wisdom was actually present at creation and actually working alongside God to bring everything into the world. If you look at Proverbs 8, starting in verse 22, it says this, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his work. When we say brought me forth, wisdom's talking. This is wisdom talking uh, uh, about himself. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity. And at the very beginning, when the world came to be, when there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there was no spring overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or the fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place." When he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep its command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was beside him as a master architect. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind." What an interesting way of describing wisdom. It's almost as someone, uh, an entity that's co-laboring with God in creation. If you have your, uh, if you have that uh, fill in, we're going to fill in three things for you. Here's three ways that wisdom is described in the passage. First off, it says that wisdom was the firstborn. Of all creation, firstborn over all creation. It says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. And it says several times that uh, before anything else, I was birthed. So we see that wisdom makes its claim that he is the firstborn of all creation. Number two, he says that all things were created through him. Wisdom says, I was beside him, I was beside God as a master architect. He calls himself, that word means, one who designs, one who builds, one who plans out. And so he says that I was with God, co-laboring with him to help bring about the world. I was a master architect by God's side the entire time. And so he is, uh, for all things were created through him. Through him, all things were created. And then wisdom goes on to say that i was before all things i mean most of this whole passage is him talking about before this and before that and before this i was i was here before any of it began so he is before all things he's the firstborn of all creation all things were created through wisdom and wisdom is before all things before he says before his deeds of old i was appointed from eternity From eternity, I was there. I was appointed. What a funny way to describe wisdom. Now, hang on to that. We're going to explore that a little more later on. But if you have your last fill in for this part, uh, what I want to really push today is the idea that wisdom has a face. Proverbs gives wisdom a face. It's not about just talking about some ethereal wisdom that you should have, something that we can't really apply to our lives, something that we can't really get a handle on. The book of Proverbs is all about teaching us wisdom that we can see, we can touch, we can smell, we can taste. We can look at people in their lives and if they follow these little sayings, all of a sudden a tangible picture comes into focus. And so Proverbs gives wisdom a face. And for each week of this series, we're going to see what wisdom looks like in all of these real, tangible, concrete, wrap-your-head-around-it kind of ways. Things like parenting, and friendship, and mental health, and sexuality, and marriage. And today, as we've alluded to, we're going to talk about how we handle life how we handle life. Now, our our passage this morning is in a section of short, pithy sayings that each highlight where wisdom can be seen in some element of life. And there's a whole lot of them. Just little sayings, little quick ones. They're meant to, the whole the whole point of ancient wisdom like this is to be short, be concise so that you can remember them. Remember, they weren't carrying around a book of Proverbs everywhere they go. Books were not available back then. You might have one for an entire community if you were lucky. And so they were meant to be short, quick little sayings that you could remember. And in turn internalize so that then you could do this type of wisdom that Proverbs is talking about. Go and actually do it. Show the picture. Give the tangible expression that I can see. And these Proverbs also are independent units that can stand alone. Context is actually not required for understanding. It's actually one of the rare times in scriptures that we don't have to look to the left or to the right in order to understand what's going on. I would not advise that in any other place in the Bible, but here you can. Little sayings that are, are, are totally in isolation you can look at and, and learn something from and, and understand one element of what it is. So let's, let's take a look at that little pithy saying this morning and, and glean some things from that. First it says this, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. Now, this verse uses a poetic feature called parallelism. And what parallelism, this type of parallelism that's being used here, unifies these two lines. If you notice, there's two lines. It says two separate things. One, rescue those being led away to death. Two, hold back those who are staggering towards slaughter. There's a parallelism to them. And what this type of parallelism do is it's, it's, it's affirming one central idea, but saying it in two different ways with two distinct ways that you can do this one central thing. So let's look at each line and, and understand what's going on here. First, rescue those being led away to death. The word rescue here is pretty straightforward. It means being uh, to deliver or to save and the word being led away is actually in the passive. It's actually in the passive, which means that the person who needs to be rescued isn't doing the action by themselves. They are being led away. They're not doing the leading. What that means is somebody outside is pulling them along towards death. And what we can, what we can take from that is there's oppression going on here. Something is happening to someone else. Someone is being led away away. To death And so they need to be rescued They need to be saved There is a, there is a uh, Opposition happening There is oppression that's going on The distinctive here is that the rescue Is the rescuer has, Is facing death at the hands of someone else The distinctive Of this line is the rescuer Needs help Needs to be rescued and saved From death At the hands of somebody else And the next line, which looks similar but actually has its own distinctive feature as well. It says, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. Now, the word stagger here can mean like physically uh, stagger, if you will. But it also came to mean in those days financial trouble as well. Somebody who staggers is somebody who who can't keep themselves up, who can't uh, be afloat, who can't hold their own Wait. We find this in places like Leviticus 25. Here's a good example. In Leviticus 25, 35, it says this. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself, that's that word uh, stagger. He can't hold himself up. If one of your brothers becomes poor and, and begins to stagger, cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him that he may live. And the word for slaughter can mean sort of like a physical death, but it also can just mean ruin or destruction, somebody who's, who's got things messed up. And so when we read this, and we understand what parallelism, that they're saying two distinct things while maintaining a union, we can, we can begin to, to get a, a better picture of what's going on. We see that what's, what's happening here is that the, the, the overarching, the unifying principle is that we need to value life. That life is important. That God values life with everything. In fact, uh, in the next verse, God reminds us that he guards our lives too. He guards them. And you don't guard things that aren't valuable. right? Nobody uh, took up a sword and went back and forth for their rice cooker. right? Nobody guards their rice cooker because they're not important. We never use ours. I just said to Molly the other day, I was like, do we ever use that thing? And she's like, oh, we use it, we use it. I'm like... Okay, right? Nobody guards it. If I saw my son playing with it, I'd probably let him keep playing with it. I don't really mind if it breaks, right? Because it's not valuable. At least not to me. It's not valuable. But the passage says God guards our lives because they're valuable. Our lives are valuable. That's the unifying thing that holds uh, this together. But what are the distinctives? The distinctives are that in one case, someone is being led to death. And so how do we value life? We rescue those who are being oppressed. We rescue those who are being led away. Somebody else is doing the leading towards death. But we also value life when we see a brother or a sister who is staggering in their lives. That things aren't going well. And they're heading towards destruction. They're heading towards ruin. Things are not going well. And notice this, the second line, isn't a passive verb. The one who is staggering is the one who's doing it. So there's not an oppression here. They've fallen on hard times or something's happened. We don't know exactly what it is, but it says, those who are staggering, hold them up. Support them. Which is what Leviticus 25 affirms as well. The distinctives show that being wise about the value of life needs to be holistic. It's for those being led away and for those staggering. And we need to grasp this concept if we want to apply wisdom to the value of life. If we want to say what does it look like to be wise in how we handle life, we need to know that it's not either or, it's both and. We value the life of the one that is being led away to death. We also value the one who they themselves are staggering towards ruin. And the Lord says and this proverb says, you want to be wise about value of life? God guards your life. Do you want to join him in this by guarding the lives of others? It's a both-and proposition. We take care of our brothers and sisters that are in need, and we fight and rescue and save those who are being led away to destruction. There are those in the world who are being led away to death. We looked at one example just a few minutes ago on the video, but probably in our context, the most notable example of the one that, and the one that garners the most tension is the issue of abortion. This is something we must fight for. We must stand for those who can't defend themselves. We must save and rescue those who are being led towards death. They are not doing the leading. They are being led towards death. Absolutely. We must fight for that. But we must also do it with a holistic approach to life that says all of life is valuable. And so we fight for all people who are being led to death. We fight for all people who are staggering. I can tell you from experience that one of the biggest criticism from those of my friends who are pro-choice is the seemingly hypocritical emphasis on those being led away to death and not those who stagger in ruin. That's just the reality. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm not saying that's the reality, but that's their perception. Their perception is that we shout and scream and yell at one type of life, but what about the life of the mom? And what about the lives of those who are stuck in pattern of poverty? And what about those who are disenfranchised? And what about those who are enslaved? Wisdom in life is affirming and acting on the value for everyone. And it's only then when the world sees a holistic picture of the church affirming all of life do they begin to say, you know what, that's consistent. That works. And they're fighting for everybody. So let me tell you how we address this at Randall Church. Because actually, in reality, I'm so proud of our church. I love the way that our church does this. And I I want to, if you allow me, I want to brag on Randall for a few minutes because I love the way we do this. One of the three ways that we reach out outward in the world is through partnering. We partner with different missionaries and organizations around the world to support them in gospel-centered work. And there are things that we cannot do on our own, but we team up with people God has called who have specific skills and availabilities and opportunities who can help. And one of the reasons I came to Randall one of the reasons I said that's, some, that's a place I want to be a part of is because nearly 25 of our operating budget goes outward to these partners every single year. Friends, that is darn near unprecedented for a church. I've seen a lot of churches. I've seen a lot of church budgets. That is near unprecedented. You would be hard to look at another church in this area's uh, budget. And see that percentage dedicated to make sure that there are partners around the world working to bring the gospel to places that we can't. I love that about our church. I love that we do that. And one of our partners is an organization called Sunrays Ministries. And Sunrays fights to eliminate this abortion issue we talked about. But they have chosen to support all of life both the child and the mother, through classes and housing and medical care and doula services. It's wisdom with a face. And another partner is Urban Christian Ministries that we support. They're an organization in the heart of East Buffalo who work to break people out of systematic poverty in order to reveal a God who loves them. It's wisdom with a face. And today is Freedom Sunday. And our partners, IJM, International Justice Mission, host this Sunday each year to raise awareness of a particular way that we can rescue those being led away to death. Because modern slavery is real and happening all over the world. And at the second part of this passage, it actually warns us about the lack of awareness. It says this, If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? And what this Sunday does is it removes our ability to say, I didn't know. It removes our ability to be able to say, I just didn't know anything about this. And so we have a kiosk set up in the back for you to learn more about IJM today. And we'll have other kiosks for all of our partners. We try to highlight a partner at least once a month to see and have you understand and know all the things we partner with so that we can be a holistic approach to life. Now, the problem is, is today is a fire drill. And so we literally are going to ask you to leave the building as fast as possible. <laughs> We ran into a problem with that uh, when we were organizing this. We're like, IJM Sunday, Freedom Sunday, let's set up the kiosk, and we're like, wait a minute. Literally at the end of the service, we're gonna ring an alarm and tell everyone to get out of the building as fast as possible. So that's not gonna work well. So what we've done is in every corner of the building, because we're gonna ask you to actually evacuate, there is no real fire, by the way, just there's no fire. This is practice. But we're going to have people uh, head to each of the four corners uh, to practice a fire drill uh, this morning. There's going to be some, uh, some, just some take-home uh, uh, cards at each corner. This is what we'll ask you to do. Just grab one. There's no commitment. It's just a way, it's, it's a way that you might be able to get involved with iJam, a way that you might be able to uh, partner with them through something that they call Freedom Partners, um, in which you, you, there's a, a, monthly, uh, a monthly gift that you give, but then they send you all sorts of things in the mail and ways that they're connecting and stories of what's going on. We're actually going to have a kiosk set up next week as a response when there isn't a fire drill, so we figured that was a little better. So what you should do, just grab that on your way out, pray about it this week, and if you feel like this is something God's asking you to do, come back next week with that in hand. We'll also have extras if you forget. Come back next week, and uh, you can make a response in that way. Here's the thing. The power of the church is that we do not have to give ourselves to everything. A holistic approach to life does not allow us each individually to do it all, but together collectively we can show the world the value of all of life. So when you give to Randall, you give to life. And not just one type of life, life at every stage. And when you join our church, you belong to an organization, an institution, a community who collectively affirm life at every stage. And when you get involved with our partners through prayer and advocacy and volunteerism and additional financial means, you are part of a larger community who work together to support life at every stage. Friends, it's wisdom with a face. And now the New Testament then, brilliantly, takes this personified understanding of wisdom and uses it to describe the ultimate face of wisdom. Paul writes in Colossians, in the very first chapter, right off the bat, in Colossians 1, he says this, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Just a few lines later in Colossians, in Colossians 2, he says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mysteries of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. You see, friends, wisdom has a face, and his name is Jesus Wisdom has a face, and we see it in Jesus. He is the firstborn over all creation. All things were created through him. He is before all things. Wisdom is personified ultimately in the person of Christ. And when we demonstrate wisdom, we give the world a picture of what Jesus is like. When we demonstrate wisdom in the world, we give the world a face. And it's Jesus. The band wants to come up now. They can. And when it comes to life, the scriptures remind us that we are all dead and Jesus brings us to life. Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And so Jesus says, go out and paint a picture that people can see of what I am like in real, tangible ways. Give a physical picture that can point them to the spiritual reality. Go out in the world and affirm life at every stage. Fight for it, save it, hold people up. Work with people who are staggering. Be there in a holistic way. You as the church do this and then the world will look at it and go, ah, that's the life I've been been looking for. You guys value life, which gives us the way forward to say, yes, life, and let me tell you about life to the full. Which leads me to my second story of my friend I didn't forget. Like I said before, we talked that night, and I realized that he hasn't seen wisdom regarding life. He has seen the opposite. And that is what—if that is what Jesus looks like—I don't blame him for wanting nothing to do with it. If that's the face of Jesus, then I don't blame him at all. But then we were at the bus stop with the kids and got talking about different trips that we'd be going on. And he told me about his work trip to Las Vegas and the plans they made. Ah, Vegas! And, okay, that's great. And he said, "Where are you? Where, what are you doing? Where are you going this week?" And I said, I'm going to a conference with one of our church's partners called IJM, International Justice Mission. And we support this organization who rescue those in slavery, persecute slave owners, and work to put slave trade out of business for good. Our church partners with organizations like this because we believe in the value of life. I definitely rehearsed that because I knew he'd ask. I was going in my brain about that. And when I got done, he said, wow, I wish I was going on your trip. Because he saw the face of Jesus. Because we affirm that life is good and valuable and worth fighting for. From the womb, to the child, to the one staggering to ruin, to the elderly. All of life is valuable. I'm so proud of our church. I'm so proud of the way that they pour into our partners. I'm so proud of those individually who support uh, people, who support uh, life, who support God and be like God and are agents of change in the world, valuing life at every step of the way. Because when we walk in wisdom, we give the world a face. It's the face of Jesus. So friends, may you walk in wisdom. May you join this organization, this institution. May you be able to celebrate with your friends, people who don't know Jesus, and be able to say, guess what I'm a part of? I'm a part of an organization that loves life, fights for life, rescues life at every turn. And perhaps someone will say, wow, I want, I, want, I want to do that too. I wish I was going where you're going. Let us apply wisdom to life and let the world then see that what we have is life and life to the full. We have the face of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we want to be agents that represent you in the world. And we know, God, that you bring life and life to the full. And so, Lord, as we go out together, collectively, may we be able to represent life at every turn. May we represent those who are being led to death, and may we be representing those who are staggering towards ruin so that the world will look upon us and see Jesus. We thank you, Lord help us. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.